Welcome to the Barry Trammell Show. We're in a very special place today. We're in the office of University of Oklahoma President Joe Harris. He's agreed to let us come down and chat about administrating at a football school. Joe, I don't know if this is your dream job, but to most of us, this sounds like a great job being the president at a place like the University of Oklahoma. Thanks for letting us join. Uh, for letting us join you, and tell us a little bit about uh, the uh, the idea of, of presiding over a, a university with such a prominent athletic department. Is is it just flat out fun? Yeah, it's it's always exciting. Some days are fun, some days are terrifying. But uh, no, it, look, this is my dream job. I'm. Like you, I'm a native Oklahoman um, and, uh, you know, been here all my life, uh, born and raised here uh, besides six years on the East Coast, have, have been here my entire life. And uh, my dad was the first generation in his family to go past high school, uh, and uh, he went to the University of Oklahoma. It changed his life. It's, it changed my life. Now we have uh, our oldest here is at OU. So the University of Oklahoma, they talk about Sooner born and Sooner bred. I am that. And... Uh, and I have an absolute understanding of the importance and excitement of athletics. What, what is your, outside of big events or big, or big controversies or unforeseen situations, do you have a day-to-day -day role with athletics or just periodic updates with Joe Castiglione? Tell us what your relationship is with the athletic department. Yeah, I just left a, a meeting where um, all of the university officers were in there, and that includes Joe Castiglione. Around here, Athletics isn't some appendage. It's it's a huge part of who we are, and um, and when we look at our strategic plan. Athletics is a key part of how do we create a place of belonging for our students and a way of attachment with our alumni and friends. So um, around here, athletics is part of our DNA, and uh, it's a huge part of who we are. So on a day-to-day -day basis, um, there might be a day or two that goes without me speaking with uh, Joe Castiglione, but it's not usually three days. Uh, we're always connected, especially during times of transition like we're in right now in intercollegiate athletics. There are so many issues that arise that aren't just about administering a team, but also the strategy uh, and direction of intercollegiate athletics as a whole. Uh, a couple of, uh, you, I think you became interim president in 19, uh, so I've been on the job about four years. A couple of major things have happened in that time. Uh, lost and, and gained a football coach. Changed conferences. Let's, let's take those one at a time. University president, how involved were you and are you in like the coaching search and the coaching selection? Yeah, so uh, you've got to know what your lane is. And, um, and uh, having me picking coaches is probably not a good idea. Uh, I'm a guy who got cut in seventh grade from my uh, uh, junior high football team. Uh, and so I'm not a great talent, uh, nor am I a great judge of, uh, of coaching or athletic talent. But uh, I've been on the program for a long time. Uh, I've been in this job since 19. But um, earlier in my career here, I was there during the formation of the Big 12 Conference uh, and played a role there um, in all of that. And I spent 12 years as general counsel here. I wound up as lead counsel for the two major infractions cases that we've had at the university over the last 25 years. So. Um, I, I'm not a traditional president in terms of my knowledge of how um, intercollegiate athletics works, so I, I play a role, but hopefully it's a constructive role. I've been here with Joe C. the entire 25 years he's been here. Uh, we don't just have a, a professional relationship. We have a, a deep personal and family relationship, and uh, we work together about as well as anybody I think could. We call him Joe C. Well, people that know you both, they call him Joe C. and you Joe what? Joe H. 
uh, if they're being kind. Okay. Yeah. There are other names, but that's not appropriate. Let's uh, <laughs> uh, so take me back to the to the Lincoln Riley uh, transition to Brent Venables. What most of us were stunned at the news that Lincoln's leaving. Uh, a week later, big pep rally for Brent. What was that whole transition like in that, that week of uncertainty? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, you know, the, the, the way coaches' contracts work and the way they're, they're handled these days, um, it caught us by surprise. Uh, as you know, usually around bowl games uh, with coaches, you're working on, um, uh, you know, how do you make sure that they're secure? Uh, the morning of. Uh, the morning that we all found out he was leaving, I got a phone call, uh, and Josie and I met with, uh, with Lincoln. Uh, and I thought it was to talk about him talking with another school. Um, but it ended up be becoming clear um, in a meeting that the three of us had that he had actually taken the job. Uh, this is the Sunday after the game against Oklahoma State. And um, we've, uh, Joe and I have both been around as general counsel. I spent a lot of times around coaches' contracts and uh, the hiring, uh, not selection, but the process of once you've identified, how do you work through it? So it's not new territory for Joe and me. The circumstances were very different uh, and an absolute surprise. But one thing you know is that if somebody's already made a decision and it became clear um, over the conversation eventually that he had taken that job, uh, that uh, we had to move quickly, and uh, and you, you can't let grass grow under your feet, especially at a moment of ultimate vulnerability, because in the past, the transfer portal hasn't been open, and it hasn't been available. And so it was a unique moment in time where we had to react quickly. When Lincoln left, uh, we met over at Boyd House. When Lincoln left, uh, Josie and I um, were surprised, um, told ourselves we needed to be professionals, and we need to take the next step. We knew we needed an interim coach. So our first phone call was to, uh, we, Joe and I talked about it a bit, and our first phone call was, uh, as you, you, I know, interviewed, was with Bob Stoops. We called him, he was on the golf course, and uh, we told him, we asked him if he would, if he would step in, and he said he would. Uh, we then knew that Josie needed to get to work on selecting a coach, and he has a process for that. And so he began doing that. I said, look, Josie, keep me in, uh, aware of what you're doing. I don't pick coaches. When you get it down to your top three or so, bring me in, uh, and then I'll go with you to help recruit. And that's the approach we took. When, uh, when you hired Brent Venables, uh, the mood seemed to change in, in, among the Sooner fan base, uh, one of, of shock and, and alarm to one of celebration and joy. And, of course, you know that dips now depending on the scoreboard every Saturday. But were you surprised at how quickly – Everybody went from, you know, sort of uh, very uh, scared almost to, to joyous in a, in a week's time. Yeah, I think one of the, in all my years at OU, both as a student uh, and in uh, various jobs here at OU, the, one of the most joyous moments was getting off that airplane um, at Max Westheimer Airport. And, uh, I, you know, we knew a storm was coming in. We didn't know if there'd be very many people there. We had to circle the airport once because of the weather, and then we land, and it's just this surreal environment um, that just seemed magical and dreamlike. And we get off the airplane, and there's not just a few students out there. We weren't sure if the Spirit Squad could even stay out there because of the weather. And it was just this moment that was truly special. And I think the moment he stepped off the airplane, um, all of that anxiety and hurt, and you got to call it what it is, uh, the Sooner Nation, we were all hurt. 
by the way things played out. And we should have been hurt. Um, to realizing um, that, look, this is way bigger than one person. As Bob said, you know, it's a program and it's endured a lot of people and we, we got our feet back under ourselves. And I, I love that it's always good to have a partner who's not exactly like you. Joe C. is calm. Um, I'm going to go to, you know, a kinder characterization with me as effervescent, which might be uh, a little high key. And we go to, to, to meet and, uh, and Joe C. going into the meeting uh, with Brent Venables at his place uh, in Clemson on the lake. We're walking in there as we walk from the car into his house. And Joe C. said, now, Joe, to me, Joe H., he's like, we're going to play this cool. We're going to go in there. We're going to meet his family, um, which, of course, I had known them when Brent and Julie were here before. And we're going to hear him out. And then after we hear him out, um, we'll confer for a few minutes. And then we're probably going to do it. But then we're going to offer him the job. But we've got to handle it that way. And I said, I totally hear you, Joe. That sounds like a, a great plan. You're the greatest AD in the country. And I'm... I'm going to follow your lead. So we get in there. We see the kids, see Julie. Hadn't seen the kids in a long time. And um, we go in there, and Brent starts doing one of his speeches about why he cares about student-athletes. And the view you've heard many times about how winning is a product, but we're about intercollegiate athletics and development of the whole person. He goes in full-on Brent, right? I mean, it is full-on. And, and honestly, with what had taken place just a week before, to hear the discussion about character being at the forefront, uh, to hear those things that we know Brent Venables believes, that I think at many places and in many coaches is absent, this idea of you're doing it for more than just the money. Um, it resonated. Now, that part I think is fair and logical. But then, as Brent got wound up, I got wound up, and I jumped up about what had to be I thought probably at the 80% mark in his speech, knowing what I know now, probably the 20% mark. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I jump up and I go, Coach, will you take the job? Totally interrupted him. Uh, he looks at me. We stand up. We start hugging. I look at Castiglione. He looks at me like, like what is wrong with you? We got a process for this. And uh, we didn't. I decided it was time to go ahead and make the offer. And uh, then he jumped up and we all celebrated. But it, it was a moment of excitement. And I think my own emotions, um, I think, were indicative, really answered your question, which are, was it surprising to see the mood of the Sooner Nation go from where it was um, to a position of joy? I think the answer is um, it shouldn't have been. But I, I think, But I think like a lot of us, there was so much emotion in the way the previous coach left and the way the departure occurred, that to then see the embodiment, to me, of what we want in a coach, not just excellence in terms of, of being an amazing coach, but having true character and talking about those students in a way that he also lives, is a big deal. And I think that returned confidence and joy to us after we'd been knocked back on our heels. Let's go to another big uh, seminal moment in your administration, which is the move to the SEC. Uh, Sooners have been involved in this conference for the Big 12 and its forerunners for a century. Uh, and yet, in the summer of 21, we hear the news, OU in Texas, jumping to the SEC. Take us to the moment when you first heard the idea that this was even something OU should consider. How did this thing even take seed and grow into to right now you're on the cusp of, of joining the SEC? Yeah, so I've been around for a long time, um, something we share. And, um, I got you beat on that. 
Um, and, and so I was actually there during, um, I was the um, VP for executive affairs uh, during the creation of the Big 12 and attended a lot of those meetings. So I've been, and as I said, as general counsel, spent a lot of time around. So I wasn't a newcomer to uh, conferences, the way they operate, and the changing dynamic. What had already been taking place, and I think this is illustrative of the challenges we face right now in intercollegiate athletics, and whether we're dealing with them um, in a really open and honest way, is that um, when, when I came into this role, I asked a couple of very seasoned people, not at OU, why things were done a certain way. And the answers were all, I thought, calcified. I thought the answers all made sense 20 years ago and were ignoring the realities of, um, of where intercollegiate athletics is today. And people that have big credentials sometimes are too close to it to see what's going on. And so uh, there have been discussions forever. You know, we had the conversations about going to the Pac-12 that w well preceded me. So the mental gymnastics of why you might change conferences had, had been done before. These weren't new thoughts. Um, but the environment itself was changing so rapidly. And so when we looked at this, we being Joe Castiglione, myself, as, as we looked at this, we realized that um, after all the work we had done on this, and there was a really, this was not some flight of fancy. This was a, a deep, thoughtful exercise. All of that work came down to two questions, as I think lots of complicated questions do when you digest them to their core. And the questions were, where do we need to be in this incredibly changing landscape? Now, this predates the decision by the U.S. Supreme Court that finally got everybody's attention. But we said to ourselves, where do we need to be to do two things? One, to compete for championships at the highest level, not just make a playoff, but actually compete for championships. And two, with the size of our budget, which is unique, um, how long until we lose our status as one of the few schools in America where the students don't pay for athletics or the state doesn't pay for athletics? And when you sat down and looked at those two questions and you look at the size of our budget and stadium size is a proxy for budget size, right? This year we were $169 million operating budget. What does it mean if suddenly students have to subsidize 5% of that or 10% of that? or more, which happens at a lot of universities. We realized that in our position in the Big 12, that there was no way that we could achieve those two things for the University of Oklahoma. And by our estimates, by the year 2027 or 2028, students would start picking up the tab. And the question of, of competing for championships, it became clear that to do so on a consistent basis, we had to be in one of two places, Big 10 or the SEC. It was just a reality, and not just from a money standpoint. TV slots, right? Across the ability to, to recruit, all of those things played into it for us. And anytime I sat down with the, with the leader from Oklahoma and talked about this, no matter if they were, were crimson and cream or believed in orange and black, they realized that this was not just good for OU athletics, but at the end of the day, it was critical for the state as a whole. And that OSU was going to wind up in a really good spot because of their brand. And at the end of the day, the state could be in a better spot. Now, we knew it was going to be tricky. We knew it was going to be upsetting to a lot of people when it took place. But I think sitting here now, two years later, we see those things to be true. Our state is in a better place. Oklahoma State University is in a better place. 
And the University of Oklahoma, with our big budget around athletics, is in a better place. How, how difficult was that, though, those early days? Not just with OSU, but Texas Tech, Kansas State, Iowa State, schools that Oklahoma has been associated with, some for 100 years. Were those difficult days just to navigate uh, the, uh, the transition and the news that, that uh, you guys were leaving? Yeah, you know, it, it's difficult because those presidents, you get to know them on the Big 12 board meeting calls. And those are, I mean, you have, it's like in your business, you only have so many people that really live in your shoes every day. Um, and those presidents are really good presidents. And, and, um, and they're really good friends. But, you know, the reality of doing any job where you have, you know, it's funny, I have friends that will see me in pictures from this weekend. And they'll be like, oh, that's a fun picture of you with the band. Your job must be easy. Well, no, it's a serious job. And as long as you're in the job, you better do the right thing um, the right way. Every time. Even if it means it's, 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 an, it's going to make you unpopular for a while. right? Like, I'm not here to be popular. My job is to do the best I can for the state's flagship research university. And so the decision was crystal clear. There was no question it was the right call. Never doubted that once. Everything tells us that. The hard part was how do you handle those conversations and and how do you handle the hurt that takes place with that, even when you know how, how you think it's going to turn out, <clears throat> how do you manage that? And the great news is, is those people, now I'm not the most popular person at a Big 12 meeting, uh, but the individuals that I was friends with, we still talk. And, uh, and you know, right now I still sit on the Big 12 board. I sit as a guest on the SEC board. And um, and now we're all locked in a common cause, which is navigating the future of intercollegiate athletics. So, um, I think when you do the right thing for the right reasons and you, your friends and colleagues know it comes from a place of principle and it matters, uh, that time does heal those. The SEC and coming in uh, July 1st, 2024, um, excitement level and sort of uh, apprehension level. What, what, do you, what do you look at most forward to, but also what's, what's a little bit rocky, at least from the unknown standpoint of joining the SEC? Yeah, you know, we put a lot of time into this, a lot of thought. Um, and so when you put, when you think deeply about something or try to, uh, you, you try and narrow the unknowns. Um, really excited about this year being the last one of an almost 30-year run in the Big 12. Um, with expanded playoffs, I think we're going to see a lot of these teams again. Um, and also, hopefully, see, you know, some non-conference games that take place. Um, you know, apprehension, I, I, I look at this. You know, I'll have friends that will, you know, some will say we couldn't be more excited about it. Some are, will say they're absolutely terrified. I, I know that we're, we're ready. And, um, and so, to me, I, I look at the calendar and the games are going to be incredibly exciting. And so, for me, it's, it's, um, it's making sure we're ready as a city of Norman uh, for the growth. It's making sure that um, we're able to, to put forward our state in a way that helps everybody and not just OU. Um, but in terms of the competition, it's going to be so much fun. I mean, you know, we had the Nebraska game last season, and you think about everything that surrounds that. And, and then you have, you know, we're going to begin having three, four, five, six games a season that are like that, that are like what was a game every year or two. So I, I'm, I'm incredibly excited about it. What, what are the downfalls of the, uh, the realignment that we've seen you since 21, we've had USC, UCLA go to the Pac-12, go to the Big Ten. Of course, Oregon, Washington joining them. Pac-12 falling apart. Uh, the the rest of the most of the rest of the Pac-12 coming to the Big 12. 
Now we've got coast-to-coast -coast conferences. The SEC is actually the most uh, geographically uh, condensed conferences. Does that worry you, the travel, the, uh, the ramifications on students? The SEC's done a pretty good job of limiting that, but not everybody has. Are those issues that we're, gonna, we're going to have to continue to deal with? So what I worry about is the distraction of realignment. And let me explain. Um, there are some illogical moves, right? Having student athletes fly across the country for a cross-country meet doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, when you look at how the realignment has taken place, there are, um, there are alignments that make sense, like Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC. That's logical for the student athlete and for the fan. When you look at some of the other realignment that's taken place, you're asking, is it really in alignment? Like, does that make sense um, at all? And you know what conference membership is asking before they bring somebody on. It's one, viability, and two, is it accretive to their bottom line, or does it take more money than it brings? All of that is interesting, and I think we'll eventually sort out. I think some of this was illogical. Um, but it's missing the larger point to me, which is intercollegiate athletics is at a critical moment that requires all of the A5 to work together. Ever since that U.S. Supreme Court decision two years ago, everything has fundamentally changed. And when you're worrying about, um, and I realize if it's existential, you're going to worry about it. But outside of that, there, there has to be a move by the A5 commissioners and the boards, that is the college presidents and chancellors, to align around a strategy to create a, 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 a vibrant um, and viable college sports product. And the decision two years ago from the U.S. Supreme Court, 9-0 decision, fundamentally changed everything. So and you're talking about the, the decision that basically opened up NIL. It opened up NIL and it brings into question uh, all of the antitrust components that attach to it, right? Right. And so we're in an environment where um, that could be characterized as being unsustainable, right? I mean, th think about any league that has, um, and I'm going to use this um, loosely, but think about any, any league that has unlimited free agency and no salary caps. Is that viable? It's uh, dangerous, I can say that. Yeah, it's at least dangerous. Yeah. And, and, Vulner and It's vulnerable. It's vulnerable. vulnerable. That's right. And so um, if you take a look at where the NCAA is, that U.S. Supreme Court decision, the antitrust implications, and the fact that while you have collectives out there, it's essentially foretelling unlimited free agency and no salary caps. And that's not viable. So to me, all the restructuring and realignment, totally get Big 12 had to do it. Pac-12 needed to do it. Outside of that, there's got to be a comprehensive strategy or this thing's not viable in the long run. Let's, uh, before we finish, I wanted to ask you about the job itself. You mentioned your friends who said, I saw you with the, uh, with the band and all, all the fun things. You also have some not-so-fun things. Uh, athletics are you know, prone for scandal, like everything we have. The Kale Gundy situation a year ago, the Art Bryles uh, thing from a week or so ago. How much do you have to get involved in those things, and and how difficult are they? And how do you when you when you make decisions on on what's best for the university? How do you arrive at those decisions? Yeah, it's 
look, this is a, this is an unbelievable job. And, you know, I know how lucky I am every day to do it. And I've got a, a good colleague who I work with that on days that I get all whiny and mopey, which is totally rare. I don't do that more than I've never seen it. I've no, never seen it. No, no, every other day, max, do I do this. And he'll look at me and he'll say, oh, I'm sorry. Right, right after I whine, he'll say, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Is it hard being the president of the University of Oklahoma? <laughs> and I get the point, right? Yeah. Like, suck it up. Um, you're lucky to have it. And so um, the job is, um, there's a lot to it, right? It's, it's, I know what the University of Oklahoma is. I get that obligation, and I, I work every day to be worthy of it. The two biggest users of time uh, for a comprehensive research university, that, uh, if they have it, are athletics and academic medicine. They take the most time of any other sector of the university. Um, and, and so do I spend a lot of time? Without a doubt. A lot of time. And in a, in a day where I believe the model has to be structurally changed to be viable, there's a lot of thought that goes into big questions, big structural moves. Um, and, uh, uh, and so a, a good deal of time goes into that. Now, when individual personnel issues occur um, because of athletics, um, those are always create a lot of, a lot of activity and, and things that you know are going to grab public attention. Uh, this is where I know how blessed I am to have Joe Castiglione at the helm. Um, ordinarily, we have two or three conversations. I don't have to micromanage. Joe Castiglione knows how to keep uh, the house in order. And uh, he understands, uh, um, uh, you know, how to handle those matters. So um, those take time, not as much time as you might think. It's other issues uh, that I think are more strategic in nature uh, versus the sort of crisis communication component that attaches to it. All right. We're going to finish up with a lightning round. You bet. Athletically speaking, we're going to ask you a few questions. Mm -hmm. Favorite moment since you became president? Athletically? Athletically, for me, um, it would probably be at the Baylor game. This isn't intuitive, but um, this idea of trying to separate yourself um, as a fan from the profession itself. We're at the Baylor game. I'm going around with Linda Livingstone, who's the president of Baylor. I'm meeting all of her people. It's our first away game. Ashley and I are going to see all their donors, and we are getting our head kicked in. And I'm supposed to act presidential, and I'm having a hard time with it. And she's as good a person as there is. So, good um, Oklahoma girl. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Played at Oklahoma State. Yeah. And her husband's great, too. And so I had to act composed. I was dying inside. And then we had to come back. And uh, the Stoops are good friends. And Drake Stoops had that punt return. And the ball went past his hand. We couldn't tell if he had touched it or not. And I saw him afterwards. And he looked at me. And he goes, that was close. Um, and so for me, it was being on the field yeah. after that comeback, uh, just enjoying ourselves. Favorite person in OU athletics? Of all time? Mm -hmm. the, yeah, the, personally, on a personal on level. On a personal level. So on an aspirational, I'm going to answer two ways. Aspirational level, I grew up idolizing Joe Washington. I had a Nerf football. I couldn't be trusted with a leather one. Um, and it had his number on it, little Joe Washington, same name, not a big guy. Um, and so uh, so for me, that's, that's pretty special. Favorite person. I love Joey C. I mean, I, I just, you know, he and Kristen and the whole family, I just love him and I love his heart. Um, yeah. Favorite venue? You get to go a lot of places. Favorite venue? You get to go athletically. Uh, Owens Field. I mean, it's just an absolute ball. That and, and being at OU Texas in the Cotton Bowl when the team comes out of the tunnel 
Um, looking up at over 100,000 people, and the stadium is half orange and half crimson, that's a, that's a hard thing to not just love. How many games a year away from football? How many, how many events do you get to go to on a regular basis? Athletic? Athletics. Outside of football. Outside of football. We know you're at the football games. Yeah. Otherwise. I, I'd say between softball, gymnastics, I go to at least one rest. I'd say probably 30. One thing about being the president of the University of Oklahoma that people won't know but would be surprised if they did know. They wouldn't know but we'd be surprised if they did know. You know that it's it's there's a pressure there always to be good enough for the role. Um, you know, I think they sometimes look at you and, and they think, well, it must be a fun job, and it is. I think it must be a consequential job, and it, and it is. But I've been around long enough to know that there's lots of folks that could be doing this job. And uh, the biggest thing that I um, worry about is um, doing the right thing for the right reason and being worthy of the job. Super. Hey, Joe, we appreciate you. Let us uh, embark in your office and uh, join you in the show. It's a great uh, kickoff for sellout crowd. Yeah. And continued good luck. Well, anything for Barry Trammell. Uh, this is a paid advertisement for Barry Trammell. Uh, he's as good as they get. Um, I've, it is it is so much fun. I know you're trying to bait me into saying my favorite person in, in athletics is you. Um, but uh, great luck with this new venture. You are you're thoughtful. You're insightful. You're consistent. Um, and for a lot of us, uh, you are athletics. So I appreciate you. Good luck. And thanks for being a true professional. Well, thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Hey, you can listen to uh, The Barry Trammell Show at all places you get your podcasts, uh, Spotify, YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts. So uh, look us up on Sellout Crowd. Join us next week. Mm-hmm.